where I'm coming from is I'm frustrated because I played the game, you know, like I did the whole college thing. I like got the practical job. I lived in the city. I bought into this whole sort of like very individualistic, independent mode of existing. You can play the game and it still can go sideways. I, I want people to understand that like, if this is what's happening to me and I'm one of the lucky ones, think about the people who aren't the lucky ones. Allison is 26 years old and uses they, them pronouns. They are one of the 10 million people in the United States who are now unemployed during a pandemic. And they are also one of 13 million people who cannot keep up with rent. Back in August, Allison was living in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood, working as a freelance marketer. But most of those jobs dried up because of the pandemic. Allison also has a condition that makes them more vulnerable to the coronavirus. In normal times, they earned extra money working as a nanny. But in a pandemic, Allison started saying no to those jobs as well. Allison can't be evicted right now because they are protected by federal and state moratoriums on evictions. But overdue rent is still piling up for millions of Americans. And one day, maybe one day soon, those eviction moratoriums are going to expire. And that rent is going to come due. People who pay attention to housing talk about it as if it's a storm gathering at the horizon. Thousands and thousands of people held up by a safety net that is thin to begin with, with thousands more being left out entirely. I'm Jennifer Wing. I'm Will James. In this episode of Transmission, Making the Rent. Back in the spring, even after Allison's work dries up, they feel okay with their situation. I have enough savings to still get me through my whole lease almost. Surely it'll be gone by then. And then pretty much by the summer was when I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like, this is not going away. This is the new normal. This is how it is. During the summer, paying the $1,200 a month rent gets more difficult. By July, Allison's savings are almost tapped out. They still haven't found a job, and they are a member of the unlucky ranks who are owed unemployment but aren't getting it. Allison is fine with us sharing their story, but they don't want us to use their last name. They're embarrassed about being in this situation, even though it's something they don't have a lot of control over. Allison takes comfort in knowing they can't be evicted right now for simply being unable to pay the rent. They could stay where they are and not pay rent and let the bills continue to pile up. And I'm not interested in doing that. I would honestly rather live out of a car than do that because I'm already in debt from the pandemic. I have bills that I have not touched because I've been worried about rent and feeding myself. And all the assistance that I've been able to get from the government has been the $1,200 stimulus check. That's it. A lot of Allison's neighbors in the building are in similar predicaments, some even worse off. I have one who she, like, at the beginning of this, got really screwed over. I don't think she had really any savings, so she had to break her lease. And she had to give away her dog, and she moved to Florida. And it was, like, the saddest thing I've ever seen. Still, people are finding ways to help each other. I have a neighbor who, you know, she's not, like, maybe the greatest with tech. She's a little older, so... Like, I'll help her with that. And in exchange, she's, when she was getting her unemployment at a, at a higher level, she would give me money basically that would pay for my groceries that week. And then other neighbors who have just been really sweet in terms of, like, 
I have one that will like occasionally give me dog food and, and dog treats and things like that. So you have a dog. Mm-hmm. She is um, a Doberman mixed with a cattle dog. And I got her in December. So I literally have had this poor dog for mainly just the pandemic. So <laughs> it's been interesting having a new dog during a pandemic. You, 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 you beat the initial rush on dogs. I did. I did do that. <laughs> that is true. Allison really likes their neighbors. Their boyfriend is in the building. But rather than stay and build up more debt, Allison is preparing to leave this tight-knit community and move to someplace cheaper, ideally free. Allison isn't sure where they'll move to. They obviously can't afford a place of their own. They don't even know how they'll be able to afford to move their stuff. And on, on top of it all, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I don't have to, you know, stay at a relative's or stay at a friend's for that long and that I can get on my feet. But the fact is, like, there's that uncertainty in the middle of a pandemic. So when people think, oh, great, rent moratorium, moratorium doesn't help. The only thing it prevents is mass homelessness. Bill, who also lives in Capitol Hill, is in the same situation as Allison. And he also doesn't want us to use his last name for the same reasons. His monthly rent is $4,000. Last year, he could afford this. He had a career in tech working as a program manager at Amazon and at Microsoft. His savings were robust, and he had a dream. Before the pandemic hit, Bill quit the corporate world and took a giant risk. I decided I wanted to start a business and uh, fulfill my dream of owning a restaurant. Uh, so I started down that path. Um, I had a location picked out and was negotiating the, the spots with, um, with a landlord and had a, a menu and a chef and investors and everything was going great. I uh, actually sold, sold my house to, um, uh, to invest and to start this, this restaurant. But then Bill's ex-wife got a job in Olympia. They share custody of their eight-year-old daughter and six-year-old son. The time and the distance between Seattle and Olympia to get the kids back and forth, it was too much of an obstacle. So Bill decided to put the restaurant on hold. I had unfortunately worked through my savings to go down that path. Uh, so right before COVID hit was the, my worst spot I was ever in financially, where I was, it was just really urgent that I, that I get, the, get the job and have, uh, have income again. Uh, unfortunately, um, while I was interviewing with, um, with some of the big tech companies, uh, it was right when COVID started. So my interviews were, were postponed or canceled. Uh, so it was really, really unfortunate timing. Because Bill wasn't fired from a job and didn't lose a job because of the pandemic, he says he isn't eligible for unemployment. He didn't get that $600 a week from the federal government. Here he is with two kids and a girlfriend whose dog walking business basically shut down because her clients are now working from home. They have no savings and a $4,000 rent bill that is going unpaid. Uh, so we would really like to move to a cheaper place, but that's impossible uh, for us to, to move right now where neither of us have income and uh, uh, we're currently behind on our rent here. So we. We, we need to make this right with this landlord before we, before we consider uh, somewhere else. So we're, we're stuck in a, very, in a very difficult position here. I can't imagine how irreparably harmed my credit is from not being able to pay my uh, credit card bills. I'm stuck with um, about $20,000 in, 
in debt that I'm going to have to pay back to this landlord. Even with a great salary, I'm going to be in a really, really tough position. Before all of this happened, Bill said he was privileged enough to not have to think about food stamps or unemployment. It was just uh, something that I, I assumed was working out for everyone. I assumed that the people who needed it got it, but it wasn't, wasn't something that was, um, that was relevant to me. Uh, so now that I'm, I'm here, I can, I can see how really um, insufficient it is because it's not reaching us. Um, you know, we're going to face eviction and the, the, you know, like the idea of being evicted is, is, is just very, very far from my, my previous life. What Bill and Allison are going through is a very familiar story to Edmund Witter. Edmund is an attorney with the Housing Justice Project with King County's Bar Association. If you're a renter, you kind of know what can, how this can go really badly if you don't keep that good relationship with your landlord at the end of the day. So I, I think there's a lot of people who are trying their best. Edmund's job is to try and prevent people from being kicked out of their homes. He defends tenants in court. He keeps track of how the pandemic is affecting people's housing. When we talked back in the summer, he said data and surveys were starting to show glimpses of serious problems. I mean, the U.S. Census survey is particularly troubling. It has about 17 percent of tenants are behind on their rent, and about over half of black rental households within Washington are behind on their rent compared to about 10% of white households. So we're seeing like a racialized division. We're seeing a lot of families increasingly taking on more debt. And I worry about the ones who are making those payments right now, that they're doing so because of other exhaustion of resources, whether it's savings, taking out other loans, the things that's gonna make it harder down the road to be able to to, uh, get through that sort of turbulent time. In normal times, the Housing Justice Project handles more than 2,000 cases a year. With the moratoriums in place, you'd think no evictions would be happening right now. But there are hundreds. In Washington, there are loopholes to the moratorium. You can still be evicted under several different scenarios. One is if you're a threat to the health and safety of others or the property. Another is if the owner wants to sell the building. One thing the order is clear about is landlords have to offer a tenant a reasonable payment plan if they aren't able to pay the rent in full. We've had a lot of tenants who come back to us and say, I don't even have anything I can offer. I don't have a job. I don't know when I'm going back to work or uh, the unemployment has now expired, that enhanced unemployment. So what am I supposed to do? I can't even, I don't even know how I'm going to put food on the table, let alone pay rent. Since March, across Washington state, there have been more than 600 eviction cases filed in court. These cases are contested. The tenant is fighting to stay. In King County, over the last several months, at least 70 households lost their legal battle and got evicted. Again, these are just the cases that make it to the legal system. Edmund has no doubt that many, many more evictions are happening that never get to the point where lawyers get involved. Instead, the tenant agrees to an unplanned move in the middle of a pandemic. Before COVID-19 created a housing crisis for so many people in Washington state, there was a pre-existing crisis, homelessness. More than 21,000 people statewide were estimated to be homeless before the pandemic struck. 
And for years, there hasn't been even close to enough housing for them. And then last year, someone invented a tool that was kind of a breakthrough. All of a sudden, this glacial maze-like process of moving someone who's homeless into an apartment, it got easier. And people on the front lines of responding to homelessness started feeling hopeful. The thing is, this tool came out just months before the pandemic and the resulting economic crisis we've been talking about. And the person who invented this tool, he suddenly finds himself unexpectedly as a pandemic first responder, trying to use his invention to improvise a new safety net for all these new people on the brink of eviction. This tool, it's called Housing Connector. And it's a lens through which we can look at the housing landscape during the pandemic. I'm walking through an apartment complex in Kent, south of Seattle, with Mike Mathias. He works for a nonprofit called Pioneer Human Services, and he's carrying a laptop. Mike's part of this army of people at nonprofits all around the state whose job is to get people who are homeless into apartments and help them stay there. And that often means filling all sorts of unexpected needs, little gaps in the system. Just say where we are and what we're, what we're about to do. Sure, so we're gonna go see a client of mine. He's doing our Roadmaps to Success program. Um, so he needs a laptop and we're also gonna try to get him some rental assistance for this next upcoming month because of a layoff. So we're gonna go talk to the landlord as well. Yo, it's Mike. A man and a woman invite us into their apartment. Mike gives the man the laptop. I later find out it's Mike's personal laptop from home. The man needs it to complete a job placement program. So you're just trying to do what you can do to yeah, get going. Man, I'm <laughs> man, listen, I know I'm, you're trying. I'm going crazy. Yeah, I but get I'm it. not gonna stop. I don't, I don't stop. I know I'm you gonna don't. Go, I'm gonna go all the way in. The man's exasperated, looking for work, but he's not giving up. What we'll do is we'll go to Mike has agreed to let me tag along on the condition I protect his clients' identities because they're in a precarious situation. The woman in the couple is pregnant, sitting on a couch. Mike chats with her for a while, asks if she needs anything. Anything you need me to do to make you more comfortable here, I'll do. All right. Take it easy. All right. I'll see you later. Yeah, guys, stay safe. No worries. Yeah. Right. See ya. All right, man. Uh, they moved here from New York. Once we leave, Mike tells me this couple, they're pandemic refugees. They moved to Washington from Brooklyn with their two young kids when the pandemic seemed out of control in New York. The couple lived with the woman's mother for a while, but neighbors complained about the noise from the kids, and the family had to leave. They ended up homeless, staying in shelters. And that's where Housing Connector came in. The man in the couple, even though he was working, he had a complicated past. A background check or a look at his finances would have stopped most landlords from renting to him. But Housing Connector is a way for caseworkers like Mike to work around those obstacles. What Housing Connector waived in terms of the barriers were his criminal record, uh, maybe because he does have a criminal uh, history in another state, the debt-to-income ratio, um, and he had one eviction as well. Okay. And the income-to-rent ratio being so high, it's almost impossible to find a place that would qualify you because you usually have to make, what, three times, two and a half times the rent. These barriers, having a criminal record or a past eviction or not having a high enough income, they prevent lots of people from moving into apartments, ensuring they stay homeless. For people like this couple, Housing Connector is an invisible safety net. Many don't even know it exists. They know Mike was able to find them housing, but not how he did it. What Housing Connector does is actually pretty simple. It's found a way to get landlords to accept tenants who have some kind of steady income, either a job or social security or disability payments, but they might not pass a background check. We believe that no unit should sit vacant 
while there are people in need of a home. Skeltrum Kalmendi created Housing Connector. The story of Housing Connector actually is a little bit intertwined with my own story. So I and my family moved to the United States as refugees in 1999. I was born in Kosovo, small country in Eastern Europe. And uh, right after the war, my family had the opportunity and we were fortunate enough to be selected to, uh, to come to the United States. And just like many immigrants and refugees, we didn't have access to uh, a lot of funds. We didn't have a credit score or credit history. And we really struggled to find a home and access any of the basic resources that are available in the community. And we were fortunate because we had organizations, churches, community groups help us navigate that process and get us into housing, help my parents find a job. But what really that experience taught me is how some of the challenges, like not having credit history or not having rental history, often are a significant barrier for individuals to access housing. Years later, when Skeltrum worked for the Seattle Housing Authority, he saw homeless people running into the same sorts of barriers his family did. That's when he came up with Housing Connector. We know that in our community, there are units that are sitting vacant simply by how markets work. And at the same time, we know that landlords who want those units to be filled, they are also making a determination on how risky a resident or an applicant may be when deciding whether to approve someone or not. And so our model really is to understand the business of a property owner or manager and then provide them solutions that mitigate or eliminate that risk completely so that they can open their doors to more people in the community. Housing Connector says to landlords, if you ignore the marks on this person's record and rent to them, we'll take away the risk. We'll make sure rent gets paid, the apartment isn't damaged, and make sure there's what's called wraparound support for tenants. That means caseworkers like Mike checking in regularly. The idea took off. Skeltrum got backing from the Seattle Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, the city, the county, and the online real estate giant Zillow. Skeltrum insists his idea is not revolutionary. He just saw something not working, and he made a little tweak to fix it. Service providers I talked to see it differently. Yeah, it's really amazing. Like, it really is. Jennifer Cordova James works for the United Indians of All Tribes Foundation. She finds housing for homeless 18 to 24-year-olds staying at the Labatea Youth Home in Seattle. She used to feel like she had to hype her clients to managers of apartment buildings. She'd tell a whole story about her organization and the people it helps, and sometimes she'd still get a flat-out rejection. Her organization was one of the first to adopt Housing Connector. Now, sometimes property managers reach out to her when they have a vacancy. You know, one property partner, she's phenomenal. She lets us know any available units that are either upcoming or available now. She reaches out. She schedules tours literally like in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours when she's there. She says it used to take a month to find housing for eight people. Now, her organization sometimes meets that quota in a day. Property managers see benefits, too. Housing Connector has made partnerships with more than 400 of them. You know, it's been challenging in the past. Allison Dean is director of operations and strategy for HNN Communities, a company that owns apartment buildings that are home to an estimated 50 or 60,000 people in King County. Many are considered low income. Not long ago, it may have rejected people like that couple from earlier. But Housing Connector changed that. I mean, they make certain 
you know, commitments as a partner financially with landlords um, and with the nonprofits too. So that's putting us in a position where, uh, you know, we can adjust criteria and feel more comfortable as a landlord that if something happens um, for whatever reason, they're going to step in and help make that situation whole for us. So that's huge. If one of Allison's tenants, say, starts having behavioral issues or can't pay their rent, Allison can call someone, someone like Jennifer, the case manager, to fix the problem. It would be late on rent or they didn't pay their portions. Sometimes we've got noise complaints. And sometimes we resolve those noise complaints right away. Like it would just be one phone call to a client and then they'd stop. Housing Connector will pay a landlord back up to $5,000 if an apartment is ever damaged. But Skeltrum, who created the program, says so far, they've paid out less than $1,500 in total for damage. For a few months, landlords were happy, caseworkers were happy, and people were getting out of homelessness. Then the pandemic struck. Housing Connector was designed for one emergency, Washington's housing crisis. The pandemic layered another emergency on top of it. Here's Allison, the property manager. A lot of our residents are in industries that have been impacted quite heavily by the pandemic. So we've had quite a few residents who have lost their jobs and or, you know, part-time jobs maybe that they were working on top of regular jobs. Do you know how many of your residents have not been able to, to pay rent as a result of this? Uh, well, I can tell you that our delinquency um, on a monthly basis is at about a million and a half dollars across all of our portfolios. So while I can't tell you the exact number, well, it would definitely be hundreds of households. So it's a very large volume of people. Again, Allison's company is losing $1.5 million a month because people aren't able to pay rent. If one of Housing Connector's clients falls on hard times, the program will pay up to three months' rent to tide them over. But Skeltrum, who created the program, says it wasn't designed to cover rent for so many people for months on end. We're not intended, our organization and our mission isn't intended for us to be a subsidy provider. We are, in a sense, the rent provider of last resort. Skeltrum had built this tool for one purpose, then almost immediately found himself adjusting it so it could serve a new purpose as part of this improvised safety net getting people through the pandemic. I never expected, as no one else did, that a you know pandemic would be facing us in our first year of existence. But I think this is an area where, for me, it's important as any organization to be able to pivot quickly. One, to meet the demand of your customers, but two, to just uh, survive in this marketplace that's ever-changing. And so if we're stuck in our ways, we are not going to be able to thrive and support the folks that we are here to help. Housing Connector has paid out more than a quarter million dollars of rental assistance so far, more than Skeltrum ever imagined. And the program has helped house more than 1,200 people at this point. When Skeltrum thinks about the future, he sees the need for his program only growing. But he wonders whether local governments like Seattle and King County will make it through the pandemic with enough money to keep funding it. After Mike, the caseworker, and I leave his client's apartment where he just dropped off the laptop, we walk across the complex and end up in front of the property management office where there's a fountain outside. 
His client, the man in the couple, had a job for a while. It was a temp position that was supposed to turn into a long-term job after 90 days. But because of the pandemic, the company changed its mind and decided not to bring anyone else on. Now he's out of a job and the couple can't pay their rent. So now uh, he's gonna need some rental assistance for this month. Uh, so Housing Connector offers up to three months of rental assistance during the lease, as long as there's a game plan in place. And that's kind of what we're gonna go do is we're gonna talk to the landlord, let them know that that's kind of the, the plan this month. Mike walks up to someone's desk and explains Housing Connector will be paying the couple's rent this month. It's the kind of conversation that could be awkward, that could prompt a property manager to ask questions. But Mike has a way of making it sound natural, and it goes fine. The couple has now used two months of their allotted rental assistance. They have one month left. Hearing this story, well, the question seems to be whether or not at the end of the eviction moratoriums, when they all lift, will that lead to a wave of people like these two individuals we just spent some time with losing their homes and potentially becoming homeless? Yeah. So Allison Dean, that property manager I spoke to, whose company is a landlord to tens of thousands of people in King County, she thinks that's a real possibility. I, I think it is if we don't plan appropriately for it now. That's going to be federal, state, um, private landlords being able to come together to determine what kind of decisions that we can make, how much burden can a landlord carry. Um, there's a reality of you know people having mortgages, owners invested. As a region, we already had a homelessness crisis. We can't continue to trend even further into that. She thinks the solution will ultimately be landlords working out payment plans with their tenants on this broad scale, or maybe a new source of government money that makes landlords whole and pays back this overdue rent for people. When I spoke with Edmund Witter, the lawyer with the Housing Justice Project, he thinks that when the moratoriums lift that there might not be an avalanche of evictions, but he says it might be more like a, a slow-moving disaster, a steady stream or trickle of people losing their homes over the course of many years to come. And he says that the people right now who are out of work and who are still paying rent are usually doing it with high-interest credit cards. And, and as you know, this is debt that is really hard to pay down. And people who go this route, they might come out the other side of this pandemic with a roof over their heads, but Edmund says not much else. A lot of people are going to come out the other side with no retirement, no savings, with substantial credit card debt or other types of debt. That's going to make it harder to get through those, you know, that mild turbulence that you're going to have later. I mean, we know from prior research that most evictions happen for not a lot of money. And so it doesn't take much to lose your home in even normal circumstances. If people have don't don't have that savings or other ability to sort of come up with that payment in the event of a missed paycheck or temporary job loss, we're going to see even more evictions in years from now. So Jennifer, everything this lawyer is saying about the, the long-term ramifications of living through this economic period 
it really makes me wonder about those first two tenants you told us about who were living on a Capitol Hill and found themselves in a in a really tough spot. Um, whatever happened with them? Well, I checked in with them recently, and Bill, who was stuck in that expensive Capitol Hill apartment, he managed to move, and uh, he moved to a more affordable place. Uh, well, fortunately, um, th- things have uh, improved for the better. We're, we're moved down to Columbia City, and it is such a relief. A huge weight has been lifted off our shoulders. Bill says that his new home is bigger, and it's $1,000 a month cheaper, but he's still looking for work. So Bill, Bill's whole problem, though, was that he had no income, and so that so he had no way to move, and he was stuck in this too expensive apartment. How did he end up pulling this move off without a job or an income? He did it with the support of his friends. He has some generous friends, and they stepped in. They paid his overdue rent at the old place. They loaned him money to move into the new place with enough to pad him and his family for the next uh, several months. So he's good right now. Uh, it's very humbling to rely on the generosity of others. But when I have little children, um, it, you really just can't let your ego get in the way of any of that. And I just have to accept uh, where I'm at right now. And as this doesn't mean this is where I'm going to be at, at forever. But, but right now it's, it's more um, just a, an amazing relief and um, like a, a surreal, a, a really positive, great experience to have your very serious immediate concerns taken care of. I really, I just really, really don't know. And I don't even want to speculate what, what was, what was going to happen if the um, eviction moratorium ended. This is so interesting because one of the things we know about homelessness is that the difference for many people between homelessness and not becoming homeless is an informal, unofficial safety net of like people you just know in your life, like neighbors or friends and family who can step in and save you. Uh, And that seems to be what happened in Bill's case. That's exactly what happened in his case. And this is also happening for the other tenant we met, Allison. Allison and their dog are now located just outside of Vancouver, Washington, about 165 miles south of Seattle. So they're pretty far from their boyfriend and most of their friends. They're living with their stepfather, a man who Allison didn't really know before arriving at his home uh, to move into a spare bedroom. It's pretty um, demoralizing to be 20, you know, six, almost 27. (laughs) and be like, hey, can I have some money for groceries today? You know, like, it's just not uh, where I want to be at all. (laughs) I feel like I'm uh, just, like, perpetually on pause. You know, my savings are literally gone. Like, I don't have anything uh, to my name as of now. Um, So, yeah, it's, I made the right decision by saying, you know, I'm gonna have to go live with a family member who can help me meet my basic needs. But for people who can't do that, um, the whole idea of a government safety net is like a sham, in my opinion. So, I feel for people who don't have the benefit that I have. 
And Will, also like Bill, Allison is still looking for work. They've made some headway with unemployment. They're getting a small amount right now, enough to pay off some bills, but not enough to move out of their stepfather's house. And Allison is still thousands of dollars in debt. Did Allison or Bill talk to you at all about the future, like where they see their lives going after this? When Bill and Allison talk about life after 2020, life after this pandemic, it, I have to say it's it's definitely done in a tone of caution. Bill, he says it's unlikely that he will ever take a risk like that again of opening up a restaurant. He is going to want stability moving forward. He wants to be super careful with his money. And the same goes for Allison. In one of our conversations, they said that when they become financially whole again, they they don't want to be beholden to anyone. They don't want to be tied to a, a rental contract, um, landlords. Uh, they told me they could easily see their future home being an RV a home that would move around where they wanted to go and not a place that they would ever be forced to move out of. And you totally get where they're coming from and why they feel this way. But I'm really worried about the unseen things that that we are losing with this pandemic. Uh, It makes me question whether or not our future society is going to be less exciting and interesting because so many people are getting burned this year and won't pursue new and interesting careers, such as opening up a restaurant. We hear from past generations about how these historic events change the course of like individual people's lives, right? Things like the Depression and wars, and they had a life before and they had a life after. And I wonder if that's what we're seeing right now, that turning point. Yeah. And what is the, what is the after going to look like? That's it for this episode of Transmission. Transmission is made possible with the help of the KNKX Newsroom. This episode is produced by me and Jennifer Wing. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Please consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Doing that really helps people find us. And you can send feedback along with a voice memo recording of what your life is like right now to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Will James. I'm Jennifer Wing. Stay safe, keep wearing a mask, and we'll see you next time on Transmission. Transmission.